0: To about- me. Yeah. Woo! Woo! Are we
1: this podcast is a continuation of the conversation started last night at About Women in Chicago on the topic of the imposter syndrome. This is a judgment-free place for women to hear different sides of the story. To be clear, we are not anti-men. We are pro-women. It's not about them. It's about us. I'm your host, Nikki Neagle. I'm a female empowerment coach. I help women get their shit together. As always, I have with me my co-host, Carrie Reffitt.
2: I'm a 37-year-old visual storyteller, marketing consultant, and queer woman. Even when I've had years of experience to pull from, I have often felt like an amateur. I don't know when I cross that line in my mind from amateur to professional. However, I eventually arrive at, oh, I got this. And my other co-host,
3: Danielle Holtz. I'm a 30-year-old theater educator and storyteller. I've spent years fighting my inner bossiness, but now I'm trying to own it. And today we have
1: with us three fantastic women. Becky Sarwate.
4: 36 years old, not quite middle-aged. I struggle with dueling anxieties that I've peaked yet haven't accomplished anything meaningful. This uncomfortable state keeps me motivated, ambitious, and willing to take calculated risks. I keep wondering if that's nuts.
5: Leslie Pearl. I'm a 45 year old writer, massage therapist, and soon to be expatriate. More often than not, I don't really know what the plan is. I do best when I just keep following the breadcrumbs laid out before me, trusting they will lead me home. Sloan Dorr.
0: I'm 28 years old, studying to be a personal trainer, and I've literally wandered the country and the world for years. I've recently landed myself in Chicago in the attempt to be where I am and become my true self.
1: Keep in mind, our events and podcasts are a safe space to share openly and honestly about our experiences. I'm 40 years old. Some days I know exactly what I'm doing, and other days I have no idea what the fuck I am doing. And I realize that that's okay, as long as I keep asking for help. Now, let's get this conversation started!
3: You should probably say what imposter syndrome is.
1: Yes. So imposter syndrome, my husband was the one that told me about it probably about a year or so ago, because I was having doubts about what I do. I was having doubts about working with women, thinking that, are women going to trust me? Are women going to believe in me? Because I believe in them, but are they gonna believe in me in return? And he said, that's the imposter syndrome. And I I had no idea what he was talking about, so I went to Wikipedia and I looked it up. And it's this feeling that, is my success real? One is so many to tap me on the shoulder and say, You don't belong here. When is somebody
3: gonna say, you're not good enough or you're not smart enough? Have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome before this discussion?
0: I had not. I got the text from Nikki when she was gonna start doing this one and had texted me about what imposter syndrome and looking it up. And I looked it up and literally texted her back 10 minutes later and said, this is a real thing. There's a word for this. and
3: I felt the same way actually when Nikki sent the word I felt like oh this must be one of those things that everyone knows about but I don't but I'm going to say oh yeah 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 and I looked it up and I felt like my heart stopped because it does so clearly define what it feels like to be a professional woman I don't know and I don't know if that's the case for everybody but I've spent years wondering if everybody is faking it Um, or if I'm the only one who feels like I have to push three times as hard as I do um, to feel like I'm doing my job well.
1: After I text you, I saw that you posted on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Did anyone respond to that? I
0: got. I had women that I look at being successful. They're solid in their career, in their relationships, were responding to it, saying, oh my god like the same reaction I had and they're 20 years older than I am and they said I didn't know that this was a thing this has a word and a definition and it's real and it's okay like I feel like this and so does the person next to me and so does that other person I didn't feel alone after posting it because other people other women men and women were responding in the same way that I did
5: you know it's funny this morning um my partner said, what, what is this imposter syndrome? And I didn't really have the words, but I sort of in my heart and in my gut felt like I knew what it was. When you were just describing it, Nikki, I found myself thinking about when I lead Weight Watcher meetings. And this idea that the members who come in think that I've got this thing figured out, that I never, I never overeat. I have a friend, she said, yeah, you binge on broccoli. I said, no, really. I think we feel comfortable with this idea, other people know more than us. Yes, that is
3: Leslie, that is exactly what it is. The amount that I know is not as much as you know, that there's always somebody who's doing it better than I am and that I need to catch up to them. That is how I feel, that when other people my age have taken the title of something, I want to track back in their career to figure out how they got there, and sometimes I'll have more experience than they do, and I still am like, oh, but they, they know more, they're better at this than I am. I guess I'll spend 20 extra hours this weekend. I'm a teacher, so for me it's lesson planning. I spend hours lesson planning. I know I spend more time than most of my coworkers, and I spend time every break that I get. I'm poring over my curriculum, I'm thinking about what I can do better like agonizing over every interaction I have with the kids trying to make sure that I was the best version of what they needed and I still feel like oh there's other teachers who are doing this better than I am younger with less experience less training and it's hard
5: it's hard to trust that I'm doing my job well I think as you were speaking uh, Danielle the question for me becomes What is the difference between striving to do better and being motivated by it, and when does it become paralyzing and no longer helpful? Because I think looking to other people who have done what I want to do, that is what I do. You know, I have gone to other writers and said, how did you get from here to there? Moving overseas, I've talked to so many people. How did you make that happen? And that piece is really, really helpful. But when I somehow believe that they know something, that I don't know, or they have some sort of talent that I might not have, or they have anything that is unattainable to me. And then I get into the grasping. I think that's where it becomes problematic.
4: Leslie, I don't know if you can relate to this, but as a writer, um, I'm, I'm, by day I'm a communications professional, but I have a freelance life as a political columnist and theater critic and all sorts of other endeavors. And every piece I write, I'm utterly convinced. I'm creatively spent. I'll have nothing to say again. No one's ever going to care or read it. I'm done. I, I, the ruse, the jig is finally up. I'm, I'm finished. And that's it. Somehow, I always find a way to find something else to say and write about. But I, it, I'm never able to get around that experience when something's published, that feeling of euphoria mixed with, well, now I'm finished.
5: I always think I'll have something else to say, Becky. I'm never worried about that. But, you know, where I struggle right now in this moment is believing that what I have to say is important enough that people will want to publish it or read it. It was a huge leap for me to begin blogging, you know, and to put that out in the world and to share it via Facebook and other social media and then you know I took like that next leap and started pitching to um, what we might call low-hanging fruit publications and now I'm sort of at this precipice where it's like what are you going to do with this I used to write professionally I used to be paid to do this but I was a newspaper reporter I told somebody else's stories and now I'm telling my own and that's where I feel like that imposter piece comes up for me why do I feel like I don't have Enough of a story, enough talent, enough wherewithal to, uh, to find my name and my story and my words in a larger publication. That's where it comes up for me.
4: Before we started recording this podcast today, we were talking about Printer's Row Lit Fest, which is going on in Chicago this weekend. And toward the end of what was a very successful day in my um, uh, Illinois Women's Press Association, of which I'm president, we had a booth there very successful for our sellers, very successful in terms of networking, and toward the end of the day, Clarence Page, the columnist from uh, the Tribune, wandered by the booth, and a, several of our members struck up a conversation with him, and I couldn't. I was just standing there, and my boyfriend was like, you love him, he's one of your idols, like, go get a picture, and I just was, well, who am I to approach him, even though I'm, you know, running a booth in a tent, I'm president of an association, I, it was actually kind of a educational moment for me in terms of sometimes I think I've evolved farther with this issue than I have. Um, So it was kind of prescient that this would happen before this discussion today.
1: If we're doing something and we're not getting paid for it, does that mean we're still that thing or that title? Mm.
3: That's interesting. We're all so afraid of it.
1: <laughs>
5: I mean, I think, you know, sort of the, there's the double answer. There's like the intellectual part of me that goes, of course we are. And then there's that piece in my heart that says, but but am I really? You know, I. it's interesting. I feel like I want to take this a little bit sideways, but one of the things that has recently come up for me, my heart is racing as I say this. <laughs> um, I have a boyfriend. I have not been someone's girlfriend since 2000, okay? I left a 15-year marriage, and then, you know, I've been single for many years. And it is a very hard term for me to embrace. Mm -hmm. We went to a party together last night, and they said, is this your boyfriend? And I'm like, I guess, you know? (laughs) I remember the first time he called me his girlfriend, and I said, I'm your girlfriend? He said, aren't you? I said, yeah, I guess I am. And we talked about it, and he said, do you not like that term? I said, no, I, I think it's sweet. I love it. I love being this in your life, but I think the imposter syndrome, for me, goes beyond work. And it's like, am I really? Because I'm afraid that someone, you know, things don't work out for us, we end a relationship, whatever. And someone will say, see, he wasn't really your boyfriend, which is really, see, he really didn't care about you. That was foolish to believe.
1: This is, okay, I'm so glad you brought this up. So, this is something I've been reading about is that um, I'm reading Yes Please by Amy Poehler, and she's got this little excerpt in there where she talks about, I believe it was right before her and Tina Fey would go on for Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. And they would, you know, because they're budding comedians and they, you know, they grew up in the Chicago scene, and they would, right before they would go on air, they would look at each other. They would tap each other on the shoulder and be like, "We sure fooled them," <laughs> you know. And I just watched an interview with Letterman because a couple of weeks ago was his last show, and he said, "I'm waiting for." I I used to be. I don't know if he still was, but he said at one point he would wait for somebody to tap him on the shoulder and say, "You can go now. The funny guy is here." And I think about that. About Leslie, what you were saying—that if the relationship doesn't work out, that somebody's going to come up to you and say he never loved you or see you're you're not a girlfriend material or you know mm-hmm. when somebody says like i'm just waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and say you don't belong here and i don't know what anyone else but for me i have never known anybody to experience that ever i have never had anybody tap me on the shoulder i have never had anybody say to me you don't belong here so why do we think it's going to happen to us Has, have you ever heard of anybody saying that to anybody in a negative way
4: yeah I I kind of wanted to take a step back to your monetary comment but it sort of goes along with what you're saying now Nikki Um, so by day I I work in corporate communications and that pays the bills and I have health insurance and and, but I don't feel like a real writer when I'm there conversely I go out into my freelance life where I'm not compensated at all and I do my passion projects and I still sometimes don't feel like a real writer because it's then I'm divided then it's like well I spend 50% of my time earning my bread doing this. So doesn't that make me a fake? So it's a, it's a struggle, kind of whether you're making money at it or not. I, I, for me at least, and in my profession, I don't know that that's necessarily a factor because you kind of feel like you're half time and, and not giving it your all and maybe a fraud in both areas sometimes.
0: Both you and um, Leslie, Becky and Leslie, have mentioned that you guys are writers. You, you write for money, or you write for passion. When did you label yourself a writer? I've written, not professionally, but for a blog, for magazines, for online pieces for the last seven years probably. But I don't introduce myself as a writer. My mom introduces me as a writer. Mm -hmm. My boyfriend introduces me as a writer. I have stickers for my blog that I can give you that might prove that I, I write, but I'm not a writer. I don't feel like I am. I feel like
5: I'm So can I throw that back to you, Sloane, and ask you like, do you have any sense of what would make you feel like a writer versus someone who writes? Yeah. And what is the difference?
0: I don't know. Maybe the feeling of being confident in your writing or getting maybe getting maybe it's the monetary, getting paid for it.
4: I'm not necessarily proud of this, Sloan, but I think the moment I really said, Okay, this is I'm doing this, I'm a writer was when I won my first national award, which was after I'd published a series in Streetwise about urban agriculture, which I'm terrible at gardening, so fraud in, on a whole different level, <laughs> imposter syndrome, I'm but I was fortunate enough to win against a lot of you know red agriculture states where that is what they do. I won a national award for agriculture reporting. And I thought, well, since I have a black thumb and I can't grow a cactus, but I wrote this stuff and someone blessed it, someone exterior to me put a stamp of approval on it. Now now I'm legit. Now I can do this. Is
0: that what it is? Is it the exterior? <clears throat> is it the person who's, that you hold up here that makes you legit?
4: I think it was for me. Yeah.
0: Because I got published when I was traveling. Um, uh-huh. I wrote a, an article about running through the mountains in Thailand when I was there. And I was supposed to get paid for it, but it didn't make it in the print magazine. So it was only on, on- online. And I was like, oh, they edited it. Somebody else edited it for me. I didn't, it's not my writing somebody else did it and so I'm like I just I push it out of the way and my mom and my dad are like no you wrote this is amazing you wrote this I'm like no no you're my mom you have to say that
5: no she doesn't but um, <laughs> she doesn't for me owning writer was not so difficult the title I find difficult to own is artist mm-hmm. oh yeah. Agree. no Agree. and um, I think again only for me and I haven't really rolled around to this but writing came easy I didn't want to be a writer. I wanted to be a visual artist. That seemed sexy. That seemed interesting. But writing sort of stalked me. It was my shadow and it wasn't going to let me go and it took me a lot of years to finally say, "Okay. Let's do this thing together." And so today to call myself a writer, I probably struggle with it more now than I did as a newspaper reporter when someone was, you know, giving me a paycheck and you know, I had a byline. I think it's a little more challenging now because it is very self-defined, like you said Sloan, but the bigger title of artist, that's the one I grapple with and again, people all around me tell me, of course you're an artist, but you know, again, what does it take for us to believe that we are that thing, whatever it is?
1: Shouldn't it be just as simple as, if you write, you're a writer? Why do we have to complicate it? I'm not saying that I've, I've reached a point where if I write that I become a writer, but why, do, why can't we keep it simple by saying, if I write, therefore I'm a writer?
5: I'm sure if you looked it up, if you we did a Google search, writer, it would probably say one who writes. <laughs> <Yeah>. So
2: <laughs> Indeed. What I've dealt with or struggled with, when I have a job and a title somewhere at a company, then I usually don't struggle too much. I feel like, oh, I know what I'm doing. You're paying me to do this. If there, I have any questions, I figure it out and... Usually I'm well supported, so everything's good. But then when I, I went out on my own and tried to do my own consulting and suddenly I was, oh my gosh, what? I, who's gonna trust me and believe in me even though I have 10, 15 years of experience doing this, but I'm on my own now. And it was really difficult for me to actually say, oh, I'm a marketing consultant, like on my own because there's no one backing me up. And until you get that first patient, even then, you're like, oh, okay, I got paid to do this job, this is good. Like, how do I still continue to not doubt myself? Or, and starting something new, I deal with the same thing. Like, when do you cross that line between, well, I'm an amateur this? We do, we look for for this outside validation of, well, you're paying me now, or you're calling me that, therefore, that's what I
3: am. But what I think is interesting, Carrie, is that, so for me, I could have a hundred people telling me that I'm doing a great job at something, but if I don't believe it, then none of that matters. And I've heard, you know, sometimes it does take one person that's up on a certain level or a certain dais to kind of bestow the title upon you and then you can wear it for the rest of your life or at least, you know, for a couple of years. I spend so much time thinking about what I want to give to the world and what I want to give to my students and what I want them to take away. and. It fills me up to think about it, but it also drains everything that is inside me. And I've had my principal comes in and evaluates me, tells me I'm doing a great job. There's teaching artists that come in that tell me, like, God, you care so much. The kids love you. You're doing things that are really thoughtful. You're taking it further than it, than it needs to be taken. Like, you, you push and you push, and you're really taking them to new places. And it feels good in that moment when I hear someone saying it. And then I go home, and I'm like, oh, that one thing though. That piece that I know wasn't the way that I wanted it to go. And they say as a teacher you have to be a lifelong learner and that the best thing you can do as a teacher is reflect upon your practice and remain flexible so that you can grow and grow and grow and grow. And I'm really good at being flexible and I'm really good at being reflective, but I, I think that it's almost too far. Does that make sense? Where I, I'm i really good at noticing everything that could go better. I need to get to a place now where I can let some of it go so that I can teach and live my life and maintain the energy that helps me teach as well as I do. It's kind of what you were saying before about imposter syndrome that you don't want it to become paralyzing. The difference between seeing that you're good at something or even seeing, oh maybe you do this better than I do and I could ask you for some help and then hear what you have to say and take it and use it versus, oh God, you said I should try this and I don't know how to do it, so I'm gonna shut down. And I I think for me it's not necessarily shutting down, it's just pouring so much into what I do during the day that like I'm a cadaver at night, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just exhausted. I don't have room for being an artist much of the time. Mm-hmm. So So do you
1: think you'll ever be cured of being of feeling like you're an imposter?
5: You know, I want to respond to that, Nikki, based on what Danielle was saying. I don't know if this was your language, but this is what I took from it. Noticing what you're doing right, not just what you're doing wrong. Like, the imposter comes from thinking it's always about wrong, and I'm going to go back to my work as a Weight Launcher leader. I say this to to members who come in all the time, and before they jump on the scale, they will tell me every single thing that they did that did not lead them in the direction of weight loss for that week, you know? What they would call what they did wrong. They will list every single thing. And then it's funny, often they'll jump on the scale and be pleasantly surprised by the results and then they'll say, oh, never mind. But you know, when I ask them what they have done right, that is so much harder for them. And so with this idea of cured, I don't know, it probably goes back to the striving. But for myself, what I hope to do is to notice more and more what I am doing right. And then so it's no longer about what I'm doing wrong, and I say that in quotes, but about Where can I grow? Where can I improve? For me, the question still comes back to how do I own this title when we talk about imposter and this idea of someone tapping me. How do I own it for myself? Like Sloane says, when do I call myself a writer? When do I call myself a girlfriend? Or when do I call myself an athlete? I failed gym class in high school. Literally failed gym class. And yet, I became a woman who did bike triathlons Bike, a century, sorry, 100 miles in a day, did triathlons. To people externally, they're like, yeah, that kind of sounds like an athlete to me. (laughs) But when do I own it? Or I dance. I've danced for seven years. Other people say you're a dancer. When do I say I'm
3: a dancer? It's funny that you mentioned dancing and titles. Because for me, with teaching, I know that I'm a teacher. I'm talking about teaching because it's the thing that I'm continually striving for right now. But I know I'm doing it really well. I just get very, very caught up in it. But with dancing, so I've been a den mother at Dance Dance Party Party for three years. And Dance Dance Party Party is this all female, lady empowerment, one hour long freestyle dance class. So my job as a den mother at this is kind of like a fitness instructor in that I'm in the room and I'm keeping people dancing and moving by being really energetic and excited about the music. But I am not... You don't watch me and see what to do. You do whatever you want to do. And the lights are off and there's disco balls and it's this very free and very empowering space. And I've been doing this for three years. And I I would tell you I'm a dead mother. I could say that with confidence. But if you said, oh, so you're a dancer, I don't know that I can own that title. I feel like an imposter. And there are women who come to Dance Dance Pretty Party and it's a no-judgment zone. But there are women who throw down. Women who are trained in dancing or not trained but just have like this beautiful natural rhythm that are like warriors of dance every ounce of their skin is devoted to dance right and I can watch them and just think god like that's impressive and I can get in that zone at dance dance party party when I'm like truly in the no judgment frame of mind and just I can dance to my heart's content and not worry about how it looks but if you ask me if I'm a dancer I'm coding it with like 70 different types of judgments about what a dancer is and what a dancer looks like. And I don't think that what I do looks like dancing. (laughs) Or like, I wouldn't define it that way. So it's hard for me. I feel like if I said I was a dancer, I would be an
0: imposter. But I've been doing it for three years. So Danielle, are you waiting for someone to tell you, no, no, you're not a dancer? I don't know. Is there like that fear of somebody telling you you're wrong? Or is it this whole thing about...
1: That when we think about what a dancer is, when we think about what society defines what a dancer is, it's a maybe it's a ballerina, or maybe it's somebody that dances on Broadway.
3: Is it that we or can't, a hip hop dancer? Even I don't know. Yes, kind of. If you were to stand up and show me a routine, if it was like a Latin dance, I could probably follow you. If it's not too fast, and if the feet are involved in like a rhythmic pattern, great. But if you're asking me to pop and lock, I could not do it. <laughs> and I, I know that, so let's say you've trained as a professional ballerina all your life, and then you're asked to pop and lock. You might not be able to do it very well at first, but you would still probably
5: call yourself a dancer. Yeah. Do you think it's the fear that a quote-unquote real dancer would tell you that you're not a dancer. That, that's what just mm-hmm. came up for me oh. in that. I took a, a master class a couple of years ago with uh, one of the principal dancers for Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and I was told it was intermediate level. So I, I called, uh, Roosevelt University was sponsoring and I'm like, so so what's intermediate? And the person on the phone didn't really know, and I said, well, I've, I've been dancing for seven years. And they said, yeah, that, that sounds intermediate. Great, sign me up. I've been dancing once a week, at Old Town School of Music for seven years. (laughs) Let me be clear. So I show up at this thing. I mean, this is a dream for me, to dance with Alvin Ailey. I mean, this is a dream come true. These people are dancers. They have gone to school for dance. It's like I feel like I'm in flash dance, you know? And, um, And I'm Jennifer Beals, you know? And she's this welder by day. And I'm watching these people. And just even how they stretch, even how they warm up, These people are dancers, and I am so out of my league. Probably one of the victories of my life was, like, I stayed. I didn't leave and say, like, oh, this is way over my head. I was really, probably shouldn't have been in the same room with them. But, you know, I showed up, and I did what I could. And that was honored by everyone around me, the instructor as well as the other dancers. Nobody cared what I did. They cared what they did. Mm -hmm. But if you asked them, is she a dancer, I don't know what they would say. So Leslie,
4: that sort of dovetails nicely into what I was thinking about when we we discuss if I'll ever be cured as an imposter. Right. I keep showing up and doing the job that mm-hmm. I think I mentioned when I introduced myself. That somehow curiously I find the imposter syndrome motivating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of a perverse person who likes to prove people wrong, so even myself, I guess. So when I feel those moments of I'm not legitimate or I haven't achieved, I will find something else and throw my head into it and show up and humiliate myself maybe or not. But I keep showing up and taking the risks and trying because I guess somehow I feel that one of them will eventually pay off and this voice will go away.
2: I totally identify with what you're saying, Becky, because I feel the same way. I think I always, in some level, Uh, feel like an imposter regardless of what I'm doing. That motivates me, even if I'm around other dancers that I you have that moment where you feel so small, you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what am I doing here? And it's either like I'm gonna sit in the corner and and be really small and feel so incompetent, or I'm gonna make fun of myself so that everyone will laugh Mm -hmm. and or it's gonna motivate me to train harder or prove myself so that I don't feel like an imposter. So I might go home that day and be like, you know what, I'm going to spend 40 hours next week doing this. So the next dance class I
3: go to, I'm like, hey, y'all, look at me, (laughs) you know? So, So, yeah. So Carrie, it sounds like you're saying that you do think that the self-doubt has a useful purpose for creative people. I do. I know for
2: me, I would love to say that I never
3: doubt myself
2: and that I just always feel confident about what I'm doing. But in those moments where I feel really small compared to somebody else, and it always is a comparison, then it motivates me to ask them, well, how did you get from here to there? Or, and okay, this is what I need to do or work to put into it to be at this level. When you were talking, Leslie, about being an athlete, I did triathlons for nine years straight. I never considered myself an athlete. But the third year at one of the triathlons, I think they called us, oh, the athletes need to go over here, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, athlete? Like, Hmm. who are they? Oh, they're talking about us. like, I'm just doing a, uh, what? Because someone kind of validated that experience. I'm like, oh, I've been doing this for three years. I guess I could call myself an athlete. Even when I'd say, oh, I do triathlons, I still felt really weird saying. So it was okay to say
1: I do triathlons, but it's not okay to say that you're an athlete.
2: That's how I felt and I don't think I don't know if I ever got to the point It's been two years now that I have stopped doing them, but I never got to the point of saying. Oh, I'm an athlete I would just say I do triathlons
3: and Hearing you say that about athletes sparked up a memory for me and actually related back to dance dance party party Is though I would not call myself a dancer when they asked me if I wanted to be a den mother the words that they said What were you're so athletic and you have so much energy. We think that you'd be great for the room. I had never been called an athlete in my life, but I had lost fifty pounds. And I remember running to my husband and doing this crazy dance for him, just cheering myself. And I said, "I'm an athlete! Can you believe it? I'm an athlete!" Did you? I, I didn't know. Like, oh God! I felt so. Powerful, and I immediately took that title. Mm. I was like, "Hell yeah, I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm strong. I wasn't running a triathlon. I was finding fitness. Mm-hmm. And athlete was something that I never even it never would have occurred to me to call myself that. Mm-hmm. So then when someone gave it to me, just like the award that you won, Becky, you know, where someone's g- giving you something and saying this belongs to you, this title. It's like God, I didn't even know I wanted it, but I will keep it and claim it. Athlete feels like something that can be kind of loosely defined. Granted, artist does too. It should be able to be loosely defined, right? So
4: I, Danielle, I wanted to speak earlier about the artist thing because I def- I'm a non-fiction writer. I'm non-fiction at my day job where I'm paid for it and I'm also non-fiction in my life. Whether I'm writing about myself or criticizing theater or looking at politics, I have never been comfortable with the artist label. I think of that as somebody who paints or somebody who dances or actually um fiction creative fiction you know you're making something out of nothing that didn't exist before that's creating i'm just mirroring reality and framing it in a different way and that's not really art so i totally identify with struggling with that label and i also wanted to say yet it is motivating um to myself as an artist i don't think i ever have it in me in the fiction world but i keep trying to make my nonfiction feel more like art to me, which means adding a little bit more of myself into it and maybe someday being able to look at my own work and say, well, yeah, that was based in reality, but I also made something and I created it. So that is art.
3: Why is there fear in owning titles? I feel
4: for myself that it's sort of what Nikki said, that somehow a real writer is going to walk into the room, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Stephen King or J.K. Rowling, or, you know, these are people that are massively rich in the writing world. But someone else I admire, um, Toni Morrison, is going to show up and say... You know, stop calling yourself a writer. I have a Pulitzer Prize, and uh-huh. I'm you know, i a professor at Boston University, and who, who are you?
1: But would Toni Morrison do that? She probably
4: wouldn't. Probably wouldn't. <laughs> probably wouldn't. She seems like a nice lady.
5: <laughs> but again, it comes to that point of like, and I think it's probably different for all of us, of what, what defines it. It's interesting, going back to what Carrie was saying. You could say what it is that you do. I do triathlons. But to own that label, mm-hmm. but am I an athlete, or Sloan, you talked about it earlier, mm-hmm. I write, but am I a writer? And what is the space between the doing and the ownership of this title? Mm-hmm. And is it even important?
0: Is is imposter syndrome purely confidence then? Like is it a lack of confidence in what you're doing? Or is it just being afraid to own it? Or is it...
3: I think the side effect of imposter syndrome is that because you feel like you're not worthy of the title or that you'll be found out Mm -hmm. in taking this title for yourself, that you're constantly anxious or worried or pushing yourself to do two or three times as much as other people would do in that same role before you feel comfortable claiming or owning. So it's more about the feeling that you have becoming unhealthy in some manner. I work 50 hours a week at my day job. I spend another
4: 15 to 20 administering um, Illinois Women's Press Association of which I'm president. I write a column, I do theater reviews, I'm blogging, I am throwing spaghetti all over the wall to see what sticks, so I totally relate to I feel like I have to run this hamster wheel and say yes to everything and do everything because if I say no to something, what if the opportunity doesn't come again? What if this all falls apart? What if I can't do it anymore? So it's exhausting. Um, It's motivating, but it's exhausting. There's definitely a humongous trade-off to your personal well-being, your psyche. It'd be helpful to all of us if we didn't feel we had to do so much because then we'd be more at peace, but then I guess we'd have nothing to talk about. (laughs)
1: Does it keep us humble then? Some months ago, I was asked to be a guest speaker at IIT for a student, like a women's engineer program, like a women's banquet. I owned it and I thought, okay, this is great, and I remember driving down there to see the space and to meet the, the students that had asked me to speak, and it was one of these Friday afternoons in Chicago where it was just gorgeous in the springtime, which is kind of a rarity and I was on Lakeshore Drive driving down there and I felt like a million bucks. I sat there and I thought, I was asked to be a guest speaker at IIT for female, for women engineers. Wow, this is so cool. And you know, the sun was shining and I was on Lakeshore Drive and the traffic was on my side and it was fantastic. And then I get there and I meet and I was there for 10 minutes tops. I I Met the students, and I saw the space, and that's really all I needed. Felt good, got back in the car, drove back up north, and out of nowhere, I had a panic attack. In the car, driving. I couldn't breathe. I started crying, and I thought, who the hell am I? Why did they ask me? They had no idea who I was. They had never been to any of the About Women events. They didn't know anything about my coaching. I found they discovered me through LinkedIn and then Googled me. But so now probably within a half an hour apart of each other, there it is, I'm feeling confident, and a half an hour later, I'm in the middle of a panic attack, thinking, who am I? I think about that moment, and I think about, maybe that's what keeps us humble. Maybe that's what keeps me moving forward. Maybe that's what keeps me wanting to do better. I don't know, because at what point, what happens if we do completely, 100% believe in ourselves? Does that make us arrogant, or does that make us confident?
3: I think women worry about arrogance being a bad thing more than men. I have to say it. I always think about, and this is a weird comparison, but Lisa Kudrow on Friends, her character, whenever she was complimented by anyone, she'd always go, oh, I know. And then there would be all this laughter at how arrogant she was about her looks, I guess. But really what she was just doing was being super confident and comfortable in her skin. And that was the 90s, and I can't think of... Can you think of another character on television that just, like, so openly arrogantly owned their looks as a woman? And then I can't at all. I Sometimes I think about that show and think about how brave, <laughs> weirdly, that character was. Because she was, she was just openly exuding this confidence in her looks and her manner that is really rare. Other similar characters I can think of Danielle
4: are um, Gabrielle Solis on Desperate Housewives, Evelyn Goria, who she played. She knew she was hot knew she was smart, knew she could get what she wanted, and, of course, she was the bitch on was the it show. Play, yeah, was right. it was played for laughs. Uh, yeah. it's, it's played for laughs, and, you know, she's a dangerous person because she's so confident in who she is. To echo what you were sort of hinting at earlier, I don't think men struggle with, does my confidence make me dangerous and off-putting and, and unacceptable some way? Um, will I be viewed negatively as we
1: do? Or do they just ignore it? Do they feel the same way we feel, but they just ignore it? They just bypass it? because they're men, and they're not supposed to talk about these kind of things.
5: Well, I think, possibly, but I think culturally what you're saying, Becky, is, and we, we mentioned this earlier, when a man is strong or powerful or, or good at what he does, all those words are associated with it. I don't think they're having this conversation. They're probably having a different conversation, uh, no less important. It's not bad to be strong to be assertive, to be powerful, to be good at what you do. It's not dangerous. It's, it's, it's not, a positive. I love that. It's not dangerous. It's
0: assumed. that When a woman is more powerful, it's shocking. When she's considering herself beautiful on television and admitting that, she's arrogant, which is a negative word, towards women. And so instead of just assuming that she's going to have that confidence, we're shocked that they have that confidence.
3: Yeah, I'm always really amazed at women who walk into a room and just own it because I think that there's so many things that stand in the way of being able to do that. There's so many things every day that stand in the way of just walking into a room and believing that whatever you're bringing to it is worthy. Mm -hmm.
5: I appreciate that you said that, not just about the beauty piece of it, but whatever it is that you bring, that it's worthy. And you asked about, you know, does it keep you humble? I guess what kept coming up for me... Is this idea that someone's gonna take from me what, what I've gotten? And that's what I got from your story a little bit, Nikki. They've asked me to, to speak. They've said, you are a speaker. You are a presenter. And what if they find out that I'm not so good? Are they gonna take this thing from me that I really, I wanna own? And are they gonna take it away?
2: Or is it a fear of now I have to give this talk and what if I fail and then this never happens again? Like, is it a fear of like, are they going to take something from me? Or what if I fail and I stumble and I don't do good? And then can I still call myself this? I don't know. Sometimes I have that fear a lot of like, oh, someone's going to trust me to do this. What if I fail? And I have to like push past that and try to build up enough. No, like you got this. You can do this. But immediately, I think sometimes it's that. Oof, what if I don't? What if I don't do this right? And then that's when I like procrastinate because I'm like nervous about doing it. And then it's like the ninth hour, and I'm like, you can do this. Just do it. You know, like pump yourself up to do it to prove to yourself
3: that you're not an imposter. There was an article that when this podcast is posted, I'll make sure we link to in notes. That was a woman who had recently achieved success in being on a bestseller list, and she's quite young. And the interviewer said to her something along the lines of, oh, don't you feel like you just, you barely earned this. It was kind of the attitude of it. Like, you're so young and you're being published so early. You know, how could you assume that you deserve this? And her response was to share this Excel spreadsheet that she'd kept where she tracked every submission she ever made and then what happened to it. It had to have been hundreds. And I think her rate for acceptance was like, 96% rejected. Something crazy. I mean, because, and she was like, no, actually, I submit all the time, and I'm constantly rejected. I'm constantly rejected. And I just keep submitting. So that's why I'm on the bestseller list is because I'm still trying to work, and I'm not giving up on myself, and I'm not accepting these rejections as failures. And I just thought that was so impressive. One, that she was so comfortable sharing every single time she had failed. So openly, but that, and not that, being rejected isn't a failure. Also, I mean, there's a million reasons. I think back to when I was a director, and you know, like a younger actress or actor would come in really hopeful, and they just wouldn't be right for the part. Not not a bad actor necessarily, but just not right for whatever show I was doing. Maybe not the right look, or maybe not the right tone, or you know, whatever, or there's somebody who just walked in and they were offering something that made more sense to me in the moment, but that I would always kind of struggle with the idea of rejecting a bunch of people without being able to give them some sort of disclaimer, like it actually has very little to do with you, what you did wasn't bad, if it had been a different day or a different play, probably you would have been just fine. There's a lot of people trying to own these titles, and we don't always
5: get the benefit of knowing why our work is denied, you know? Well, that's true even in applying for jobs right now. I mean, the whole job search thing has changed, you know, and it's like if you don't have these keywords that get picked up in a scan, you know, nothing ever happens. We all talk about it It goes into the vortex. I don't know if the problem or the difficulty is with that that piece has changed or that our expectations have changed as people, you know, that we think we are supposed to be fantastic in everything we do and successful at everything we do, myself included here. Rather than, we're supposed to go out and have lots of experiences, and some of them are going to go really, really well, and a lot of them are not. But it doesn't mean that we're a failure. Right. My marriage didn't last. It was not a failure. It was a beautiful relationship, and it was a beautiful divorce. And it's something I walk away feeling really proud of. And people have said, do you feel like a failure? I don't. I feel like we were wise enough to say we have grown so far apart and we both deserve so much more. What is the failure in that? So again, I think we come back to perspective.
0: I'm currently in school to be a personal trainer. I've wanted to do this for six years probably. Six years ago I was super skinny and pretty unhealthy about it and am now a much healthier person. People, when I was 22, told me, you should be a personal trainer, you'd be a great motivator, you have this weight loss story. But inside my head, I knew I would be telling people to practice certain ways, but I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Now I'm in this program to, I'll be done in three months. Whenever I tell somebody that I'm in school to be a personal trainer, I'm waiting for somebody to look me up and down and go, oh, you're you're too fat to be a personal trainer. Like that's, you can't do that. You can't teach people about fitness. Um, And finally, now that I'm in the program and I'm doing well, I'm succeeding, I'm getting results from learning what I'm learning and getting my body back the way that it needs to be healthier. I'm finally to that point where I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be a personal trainer and I'm gonna be damn good at it because I know the struggles that people go through. I look at other trainers and I think that maybe that sort of trainer is great for a certain kind of person that renaissance man that's just cut and you could, like, grit your cheese on his on his abs um, is great for a certain kind of person. Then you look at me, and I'm going to be a great trainer for someone else, for somebody, for a woman probably, or for kids, or that's who I would like to work with. And I finally, mm. it's taken me months to own
5: this. Kids?
0: Yeah. I've worked with Girls on the Run program. Okay. Um, I mean, I was an overweight kid, and it sucks. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, working with people like that is what I want to do because I still feel like I'm faking it until I make it to figure this out because I'm not where I want to be, but I know what I'm talking about when I talk about fitness, and I understand it, and I get pretty good grades, and so I'm finally owning this. This is, and it's been a big, a big leap for myself to own this part of my life.
2: So it sounds like maybe we need to redefine what success means and not look at Societal standards or listen to everybody else, and this is what you're telling me success is And if we define our own version of success, then maybe that helps us stop feeling like imposters or owning certain titles or what we're
5: doing
0: Success is different for everybody My success is going to be completely different than any of you ladies success
5: Um, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm curious for you right now in your life what makes you feel successful, or when? When do you say, yes, I'm okay. successful?
0: That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, uh, right now, doing well in this program is having a direction. I'm 28. I've lived in Chicago 10 months, and that's the longest I've lived somewhere in four years. And before that, I had lived places. I had bounced. I had bounced everywhere, and I'm finally feeling like I'm in. I'm here, and I'm owning it. And I'm. I'm on a path to get me to the path that I want to be on creating a career for myself and right now that's successful to me
4: that makes me think of something relative to what you're saying Sloan I used to be somebody who had to have results yesterday if I set my mind on a goal and I didn't achieve it in say three days time then I'm a failure and I should quit and I'm done yep. I've learned and it's been very helpful to develop toll gates so what I say today you know I'm exactly where I want to be and mission accomplished you know I wipe my hands of it I'm done no but am I comfortable with where I am now, and can I see a path to where the next steps could be if I have the patience to do what it takes to get there? Yes, okay, then I'm successful right now.
0: And that's the thing that comes with time. I was the same way. If I wasn't happy, I'm going to drop out of college because I did that once. If I wasn't happy where I was, I'm going to move different apartments. I did that a few times. If I wasn't happy, I'm going to go across the world because obviously happiness is over there. It's not here success is over there, it's not here. But I I like the term you said, um, Becky, the the toll gates. That makes a big difference. The small successes along the way create this happiness for me at least it's a it's a confidence building thing.
2: I agree Sloan. I think that I used to think of success as a destination. Mm-hmm. Well, when I'm making this much money, when I'm living here, when I have this kind of lifestyle, I'm successful. I found that I don't enjoy things along that trajectory and when I take a step back and now I focus on day-to-day success and not this long-term. I mean, I have long-term goals, but it's kind of like when I complete a project and everyone's happy with it, I'm successful. Mm-hmm. Um, when I am communicating and it's landing on the other person in the way that I intended, then I'm successful. Mm-hmm. I will have a week where I am not successful at anything, but then there are weeks where I'm like nailing it every single day. But I take those weeks where I feel as though, oh, I have been so unsuccessful this week, and it motivates me to, okay, what do I need to do differently this week to make sure that I'm more on top of it and I'm completing things on time, or I'm doing this or doing that, so I look at day-to-day successes now.
0: And it's those little small steps right. that you take towards right. it. I journal a lot, and I started writing just a list of what I'm thankful for that day, and it ends up coming down to usually coffee and my bicycle and my journal <laughs> and like the smallest of things. But putting my thoughts down on paper um, keeps me writing and keeps me a smaller step towards that greater picture. If that greater picture ever comes, you're never gonna reach that that moment where you all you figure it all out because nobody figures it out.
1: So we need to stop saying, as soon as. Mm-hmm. As okay. soon as I make money from this, as soon as someone tells me that I'm a writer, then I'm a writer. As soon as someone else gives me the title. Mm-hmm. right? There's always going to be as soon as. So we have to say, like, Carrie, what you were saying about, well, when I get to this point, or when I get to this point, or when I graduate college, or when I finish my personal training certificate, or as soon as I get 12 paid clients, that if we write, we're writers. If we create art, we're artists. If we dance, we're dancers. What if we believed in ourselves? What would happen? If we truly, truly believed in ourselves, if we took away all the doubts, if we took away what society wants us to be, if we took away what our friends want want us to be or our parents want us to be, if we truly believed in ourselves, what would happen?
5: I think I'd have a whole lot more energy for everything that I want to do. Danielle you talked about it, it is sapping, it is draining and if I had really what I hear you talking about is faith in myself and in the universe I think I'd have a lot more time and energy to do just those things.
0: I think I would do everything that I've been afraid to do and probably do it well. Hmm. <laughs> so simple really. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'd probably do things faster instead of, like, overanalyzing, overthinking things or, oh, let me stop and think about this and weigh the pros and the cons or that process would probably speed up and I would just do it without any fear
3: or anxiety. Just go, do, and rule. And rule. Rule the world. I actually think I'd have a lot more calming down time, to be honest, more time where I was just comfortable being myself and less time worrying about the things that I should do next or the things that I did yesterday or the things that I need to be getting to but I'm not I think I would if I really believe that everything I was doing I was doing exactly right then i yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't worry so much I would have more time in the morning because I wouldn't
1: have to try on five outfits to feel better about myself I probably would do what you said Carrie like I would just do it I wouldn't question it and I would just go out and rule the world
2: I'd have less gray hair.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I embrace the gray. And it (laughs) looks so lovely on you, by the way. I love it. (laughs) So if someone is listening to this podcast and feeling like an imposter in their life in some way, what would you say to them?
0: Talk about it. Have a conversation like this. Mm -hmm. I feel like this has helped me understand it and understand where I stand with the imposter syndrome and where I can improve how I can improve, so just have a conversation with some friends.
4: I know community has been really key for me, sort of what you're saying Sloan. Um, writing can be a very solitary life when you're creating something at all. It can be very solitary and withdrawn and I think that fosters a a, a situation where you can crawl inside your own head and live there forever. So I think it's really important to not necessarily seek out people that are doing the same things you're doing professionally, but are are out there in the world accomplishing. and And when you talk to them and realize that they are going through a lot of the same types of struggles externally and internally that you are, it's a lot more liberating to let those feelings in and say, yeah, i'm 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 having this, and I'm having a bad day, and I don't feel i can I can do anything right. But I remember last week when I had a conversation with X, Y, and Z person, and, you know, they're kind of going through that too. So I'm not alone and,
5: and I can do this and I can, I can just push through. I think what I'm hearing from both of you and I would agree with is that whole idea of, oh, you too, I'm not the only one, that there's so much freedom in opening this up and shining a light on it. It's kind of like cockroaches. They scatter, you know, the energy of this scatters. And I think the only thing I would add and... And this is a little more general. You know, we really get to define these things for ourselves. You know, that was the first part of our conversation. Who tells us if we're a writer or a dancer or a teacher, you know, that we get to decide what that looks like and and maybe we do that in conversation with others. Something that I kind of, a mantra that I, the last couple years, tell
2: myself a lot, I stop focusing, I try to stop focusing on the past or the future, necessarily, and think of right here and right now in this moment because that's really all we have, I think about I can create anything in this moment. When I focus on that and not that, oh, I should have done this or I need to do this, I think about my intentions and what I want to create right now for the rest of my day or right now for the rest of this week. When I start creating right now, then I feel as though I own things a lot more than Mm. thinking about other things. I love
3: that. For me, it kind of comes down to if you don't own it in your head, then you aren't ever going to own it. So I think I would tell someone who's feeling like an imposter that you have to start with you. You have to start with how you are going to define success for you, how you define a role. If I were to say, oh, a dancer is XYZ and I want XYZ and I'm going to go out and get XYZ, that's great. But it is also okay to just say a dancer is exactly what I do and I'm a dancer. So if the imposter syndrome is motivational for you in that, it helps you set a goal that is achievable and that you can work towards, then I wouldn't even call it imposter syndrome. I'd call it motivation or inspiration. But if you're just feeling bogged down because you want a title that someone else has and you feel like you work as hard as they do, then as soon as you own it in your own self, then it'll belong to you.
1: So if there's one thing to take away from all of this, it's that we're not alone. We spend all this time judging other women's choices when we could be supporting them. So, how do we get past the imposter syndrome? We keep the conversation going with friends, with family, our community, and we want to hear from you. Share with us your stories, your experiences around the imposter syndrome. Do you feel that your success is real? Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at IamNikkiNigo. Follow Danielle, at radiate The letter U radiate. And follow Carrie okay that? at Cat Pants Media. Okay, Thanks ladies. It. Are we okay with ruling the world? Yeah.